0: This is Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing and debating the things that come up of interest in creative culture. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. The format of this podcast is a bit of light catch-up, followed by two main items of news, one chosen by Eugene and one chosen by myself.
1: Second, Sharice, so I got to update our Instagram stories I'm making.
0: So you know how there are things like subtweets? Yeah. Where you make a tweet, but you don't at tag the person that you're referring to. Yeah. And it's like your side eye referring to someone who you're probably is, is following you. And so they'll read it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've invented sub tagging for Instagram stories where you hide people's tags against the background.
1: Yeah, I love that. Isn't that and awesome?
0: I found this out because you like... Sub-tagged me in this quote And then it was said like Add this to your story I was going to call you as like Eugene can Hiding tags inside his IG story So you can't miss it
1: It just looks cleaner, doesn't it?
0: But it's also like Charisse, I want you to see this
1: Yeah, but I also don't want your name Cluttering up my Instagram story post I just rolled my eyes What? That's valid
0: I had to narrate that For all the people who can't
1: see me So Charisse, how does it feel? Last face-to-face making it up
0: Oh, there are several answers I could su- supply. Start at this point.
1: with the positive. The
0: troll answer is: it feels great to not see your face anymore.
1: Okay, okay, um, I like answer, it. I like it.
0: Though I still have to, I have to Skype you in the future.
1: I feel like this is going to be the start of us recording our conversations on webcam.
0: You mean also screencasting it? Yeah. And then what do we do with that?
1: I don't know. Okay. You just have it. You just have it.
0: Okay we're starting our own weird catalog of web chat videos that sounds strange how does it feel i am sad to be to not be around to do the physical making it up recording
1: you do recognize it's so much more difficult to have like a very clean dialogue and flow not the technical side of ensuring the recording's clean but just the dialogue. and just like a conversation. Yeah.
0: Because there's so much you communicate that is lost when you do something over the phone. Yeah. Because I can nod. Like people don't see this, but I'll nod when you're talking to say, you know, keep going. Or I'll give you like an eyebrow raise to let you know that I'm actually going to interject after you finish whatever
1: sentence you're doing. It's one thing that you will 100%. Well, it's one thing I for sure will miss because I think it, is part of the reason why things get so flowy. That's probably the worst word. I don't can't think of anything else.
0: I think we have good. Oh man, my word's not much better. I was gonna say chemistry, but there is something missing from the digital interaction. So hopefully, regular listeners. I remember won't object, won't reading too this much.
1: stat, and I forget what the percentage was. Basically so many more deals get made when they're done face-to-face versus...
0: Over. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also a reason why I never give people a quotation in our first face-to-face meeting. Because I know that I'm susceptible to pressures that maybe I can't even identify, but I know that they're there in that face-to-face meeting. Yeah. That, that's like a negative side of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, totally.
0: And I mean, obviously, we'll have to coordinate times better. Because when I'm in the office, it's much easier to just be like, okay, let's record in half an hour.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Can't just like on the fly.
0: Now I'll be maybe in the campus cafeteria. That's probably not
1: a good place to record. I think we'll just have to have a standing call, like a blocked off thing.
0: Yeah, a commitment. No, it's weird. I'm leaving in, oh, shoot, three days. Three days. It's only really just hitting me. It's really only just hit me in the last week typhoon permitting.
1: Yeah, there's a mega storm coming our way.
0: It's even the observatory calls it a super typhoon, which sounds like something a 6-year-old made up, but apparently there is a super typhoon headed our way which should reach maximum strength Sunday afternoon. So right now, whether or not I can fly is up in the air. That's actually Hong a Kong weird doesn't of even here. want me to go.
1: When do you start school exactly?
0: I do have to be present on campus the week of September 24th for orientation, meeting people stuff. But my first day of actual class is October 1st. It's weird because this past, so I've been in and out of the office sporadically and it's because I've been having a lot of lunches and coffees and dinners with various people. But it feels so weird because while I know I am physically moving away from Hong Kong, I am attached to my laptop or my phone. I feel pretty much every waking minute. There's not there's not a moment where I'm not online.
1: There are certain people that don't ever really have to do work with people outside of the office. Obviously, us to continue on doing making it up, stories, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be more challenging when we're out of office. Do you think that most people recognize how difficult it is to work remotely?
0: No, I don't yeah. think most people do. And I, I have been thinking about that shift and how... I think I'm going to need to intentionally over-communicate even more or find ways of interjecting my personality and presence more than I might have beforehand. It's weird how, yeah, so it's, it's this weird thing where there are so many technological tools that supposedly make it easier to work from anywhere. But in reality, we haven't, we haven't created this replacement,
1: yeah. I mean, the best creative work, and I say creative because it's not that all work needs to be done face to- face, but the best creative work definitely is face to face,
0: or you could say, the best collaborative creative work,
1: sure, is face-to-face
0: yeah. because I do think I don't think that parts of my process in terms of editorial are going to change because a lot of what I do, editorially in producing a story I actually do on my own all the same it's not like we copy edit by sitting next to each other and copy editing but it's the parts of the process where we have weekly editorial meetings that will be different
1: yeah and ideation all Mm -hmm, that stuff for mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm. so have you noticed my Instagram stories have been different lately
0: yes yes
1: Wait. Why well, you say that with a, a dismissive tone?
0: I think I say that because you're smiling at me because I I know when you're using me as a setup. <laughs> and right. this is the this is the way you use me as a setup. I know you want to talk about whatever it is that you're really excited about. What has been? And I know you been, only ask me so that I will feed you into whatever it is me, you want to talk about.
1: Me. No. All right.
0: Yes, I have noticed <laughs> that your Instagram What's stories different? are different. You've been sharing a lot more Insta paper quotes. You've also been sharing more, I guess, things that you find funny. Sorry, to, sorry to subjectify it that way to be like things that you find funny, but things that are more lighthearted observations or quirks. Yes. Yeah. So that plus the Insta paper quotes and readings.
1: The one thing I kept thinking to myself over the last little bit, especially we, it'll it'll tip into something you'll talk about in terms of the stories you published this week, but. I just like the last few months, I've been just constantly thinking about personal brand. And and this is probably the worst way of putting it. But like, how do you condition people for randomness as a brand?
0: As a person?
1: It could be anything as a brand. Like people are brands now.
0: Ooh, I think it's very hard to condition people for randomness.
1: Exactly. So what I think you can do is start drawing on... A larger series of things that could fit within your wheelhouse as a brand.
0: Have you lost followers since?
1: Oh, I don't. I think I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I think. Okay, that I've been I'm on not a saying it doesn't matter decline. or not.
0: But have you? You think no. it's always you have been on a steady decline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nothing new. It wasn't like you started posting this stuff on IG stories that's different, and it was like whoop cliff.
1: I think it in general. The way I look at it is I'm probably on a decline regardless, mm-hmm. right? And I think I just, whatever. Mm-hmm. Probably don't post up with relevance, but I've started to like just start doing things that I personally care about and ultimately just be passionate about things I care about. I mean, let's be honest. Geoducks. Yeah. It's gooey duck.
0: Sorry. Gooey which is duck. this
1: weird sort of thing I'm, I think is the funniest shit ever is like this phallic shaped clam.
0: Nature is weird.
1: It is very weird.
0: Nature is very weird. Yeah
1: but psychologically i think the biggest thing was that oh man like i keep preaching that oh we 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 as individuals always draw inspiration from everywhere mm-hmm. right but i think for the most part i i i've kind of really doubled down on this question of what do people think or perceive of you and what is the reality of your personality mm. right so i like I'm sure you talked to a lot of people and like, oh yeah, I thought Eugene would be so serious or he was serious. For you some are
0: matter. serious.
1: But that's the thing is that like, that's I'm serious in some capacities, but I think that everyone has the ability to kind of shift around and be agile and it's really dependent on where they are at any given moment in time, which is why now I'm like, dude, there's so much shit that I'm into that I've never shared ever or I don't talk about.
0: Right, right, right. right. It's interesting that you're talking about this personal brand conditioning people for randomness thing. Because one thing I think a lot of people associate with you is consistency. Eugene is a big fan of consistency. And on one hand, I think the first take of what you're saying would be like, oh, that's inconsistent to be sharing like gooey ducks and random Insta paper readings, plus broken headphones, etc." On the other hand, it's consistent to who you are exactly. as a person and it's more faithful to be a genuine representation of all the things that it's you're also interested
1: in. It's easier. It's like, <laughs> oh man, like, I really want to share this. This is the funniest shit, but I can't because people are expecting me to share a pair of sneakers.
0: Sometimes I wonder if we have an inaccurate perception of what people think of us. Because you're saying mm, people expect me to share sneakers, but whatever maybe they don't.
1: No, but I think they do. Probably why they followed me in the first place.
0: I don't think that's why they followed the, you in the first um, place. Though also all of this is just wild conjecturing from two people who don't have actual data on why the, what is it, 20,000 people followed you in the first place.
1: Yeah, let's say that. But I do feel so much more at ease because I do have a...
0: You feel liberated.
1: Oh, totally. I have another account, Extreme Eugene. And don't even try to follow it because I probably won't let you into (laughs) that world. (laughs) What?
0: Oh, you just had to throw that in there. I was talking to Joan about, I forget what, something about work, my, my friend, Joan, something about work or making it up. And then I happened to mention how you had said to me that you scroll on Instagram and read it before bed at night. And then she was like, that makes him so much more human. That she said, knowing that Eugene does that makes him so much more real of a person like everybody else.
1: what would she, See, what did she expect from me?
0: I think you work straight up until you sleep and then you pass out and then you wake up and then you work and you're like an automaton, a working automaton.
1: What the hell is that?
0: Automaton is a robot. It's like a fancy word for a robot.
1: Oh, okay. But it's fun
0: to say. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is an audio thing.
1: That's the thing is like, how do you condition people for randomness? Oh, I think you're doing a good job of it. There's so much so shit far. that I wish I could talk about but and I I probably will do it more Why so. Why can't you? You can. I, now I can cuz I've broken broken through that wall. You've
0: broken through a wall that you set for yourself.
1: Exactly. You don't but, even
0: monetize from your Instagram so it doesn't matter.
1: Exactly, but I think that that's the concern that so many people have is they're tied to a concept because they know that you know, Edward K.B talks about this all the time. It's like I have a persona and I know that when I post portraits, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I won't get the same engagement, which is almost, which is why he started another account purely for portraits.
0: Yeah, well, so we had a couple guests from Toronto this week. Shout out to Shanik, who's big Macon fan and making it up listener and
1: hope, member hope this and shout talented. out makes you smile.
0: Yeah, talented videographer who just started at Shopify. But the point that I was bringing around to this is he brought a friend with him named Adiyemi. And Yemi is quite a well-known photographer in Toronto, and he runs this account called SoT S-O-T-E-E-O-H. But he also has his own personal account, like Edward KB, which is young.yemi, and it's for the exact same reasons that Edward Barnier has, where he knows CN Tower on the S O T O account will get lots of likes. And he keeps that account around because he he's a freelancer, and he does have commercial interests that... He would like to keep going. And that's totally respectable. But he also has this other fine art side of him that he wants to express. And that's where he uses
1: yep. Young Yemi. In retrospect, if I could go back and, and relook at what personal brand meant. So I think there's two different streams of personal brand opportunity. One is the super consistent, super buttoned up one, which isn't that it can't be successful. It's probably the most commercially successful in a way, because you're just creating consistency. Expectations are managed. But on the other side, you're right, I don't I don't monetize. I don't really plan mm-hmm. on monetizing it. The other side is really, from the get-go, how can you create consistency on an intangible level? So, consistency and randomness. Right. But it's all somehow part of a larger thing. But that's also very difficult.
0: Personal marketing in general is difficult yeah. to me. How does this tip
1: into what we published this week? Oh, because... Yeah, so Unexpected Connections is really about...
0: Ah, got it. Right. I was like, I know what we published this week, but I don't see the line that you want to draw here. So yesterday we published an interview with Karen Okonkwo, who is the co-founder of Tonal with Joshua Kissy. We published a audio story with Joshua earlier this year. Tonal is a stock photography company that really emphasizes representing people of all ethnicities, all types, all appearances and just showing a greater range of types of people than what the current existing stock companies maybe provide. Mm -hmm. So the reason we published this interview is that Karen Okonkwo will be speaking at a Macon Imprint conference in November.
1: Correct. The conference name is Unexpected Connections. And it's something that it dates back, like the concept itself actually dates back to when we were coming up with Macon. Zach Bard at Instrument was like, hey, you know, creativity is really about finding the connection between unexpected things like seemingly disparate things. And this is something that I've really started to believe because, you know, if you are a designer and you only find inspiration from the design world, it's very, what's the right word for that?
0: Narrow is the word that immediately comes to mind, but I don't think you're thinking just narrow. Narrow
1: it's too referential i think there's not enough
0: it's like a closed loop yeah
1: that's basically that's what, what it like, is yeah. it's a
0: small it's still an ecosystem but it's a very small one
1: correct and i think that's the one thing that i was like hey you know what if i'm if i believe so strongly in this and i don't even myself walk the walk then i'm like and i mean you know me i like i don't like to preach things i don't personally engage in yeah so i was like hey this because has to because that's change. called hypocrisy exactly i hate that to that point. Uh, see, this is it. You just like mention one thing and I'm starting to think about something else.
0: That's the type of person you are. Okay, back to unexpected connections.
1: Yeah. So the conference itself is about bringing together people from different parts of the creative community and also pairing people that maybe wouldn't necessarily speak together and have them discuss and talk about what are things that they personally think is critical to their process and how they succeed and how outside influences kind of shape them. And I think that's really important. Like like I said, there's so many things that I do that people don't know about, but I have no problem really sharing or talking about it. It's not really precious to me because ultimately, I'm really just excited about people sharing how they work because I think it's not that you need to embrace that so much as have as much in front of you so you can pick and choose what works the best.
0: So more about unexpected connections. For more details, you can visit ucc.makein.com. And the exact date is November 7th, and it will take place in Long Beach, California. We have some speakers confirmed already, which is pretty exciting, including Karen Okwankwo. There will be our own Eugene Can, but also Jason Maiden, John CJ, Lindsay Jang, Julia Huang, list goes on. You can see, see more online. Yeah, Kenyahara.
1: Yeah, and there's a few more that are to be confirmed.
0: Yeah, the last thing I wanted to mention is last week we published a short travel diary contributed by Omar Issa from California and he went to Egypt during the World Cup and he took some great photos and then also sent a short monologue about how it was interesting for him to visit Egypt and then also insert himself into that environment by playing football with locals.
1: Yeah. And I think what's important to recognize is the power of sport. Because I think a lot of times sport is something that's very much reduced to like, oh, it's just like a stupid game, right? But I think the cultural implications of sport are really, really strong and powerful. And you, you kind of recognize there are certain things where there's a lack of a need for spoken word to be the definitive sort of driver of that. Right, music is another big one. You don't need to know the words. You just need to know melodies. or You just need to listen to it, basically.
0: Yeah, or food.
1: Food, yeah.
0: So I just wanted to give him and the Egypt piece a bit of a shout out. Want to get into it?
1: Sure. My topic this week was inspired by an op-ed by Lawrence Ware, titled What the Source Taught Me. Lawrence Ware is a writer. He writes for the likes of Slate in regards to hip-hop and What I found fascinating about this op-ed was him providing context as to why The Source, a hip-hop magazine, was so influential to him. And The the Source recently turned 30, and he gave some really interesting insights into it. The Source editorial team has primarily been black, and they are very deliberate about creating content around hip-hop for black readers. And in his eyes, it changed the face of music journalism and turned Lawrence into a philosopher, so to for Lawrence, it was sort of his only portal into the world of hip-hop because he grew up in a very conservative household. And it showed him that there was more to hip-hop than just, quote-unquote, thug music, as pastors at his church would say. So years later, as a philosophy student, he came to understand kind of the role of hip hop.
0: So Lawrence writes in this op-ed, "'Years later, as a philosophy student, I would learn that they were practicing an intellectual tradition that the philosopher Lewis Gordon calls Black existentialism, a field of inquiry emerging from the Black experience that examines philosophical questions premised upon concerns of freedom, anguish, responsibility, embodied agency, sociality, and liberation.'
1: And one thing that the source argued for was that commercial success should not be the only standard in which you judge Black music. And in his piece, he says, instead, we must pay attention to how the community for which it was made receives the artists and their work. This allowed readers to stop obsessively seeking white validation for Black art. So I think if you zoom out, what's interesting to me is what role analytical media has played in shaping Lawrence?
0: It's also so interesting. One more... Thing that you touched on but didn't really go into is how Lawrence says that the source album reviews were really important to him and his friends and family and community. He's referring to a time where one editor's review carried a lot of weight and people would refer to it as this expert opinion. And mm-hmm. that kind of has, hasn't has been exactly lost, has been kind of replaced by more democratic reviews review such as Rotten Tomatoes where people are looking more at a percentage as opposed to reading one respected editor's thoughtful analysis.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something that we need to be very aware of because right now in this day and age I think two things are happening where you have you have uninformed takes on things or it's just basically batched and stripped away of identity. So for example, Rotten Tomatoes is really you just you don't know who's voting what. It's just really the aggregation of people's insights?
0: Well, it starts out... The way Rotten Tomatoes actually works is they have critics' reviews come in first when a movie is initially released. But nobody, I feel like, really reads those individual reviews. And it's more about, okay, what did the initial five critics aggregate and say? Is it 100%? Is it not?
1: So the reason I chose this piece was what I found interesting is like everything about that, right? Like Right now, I think that there's a lack of for the most part, analytical thought into various genres, creative genres especially, right? Maybe music is a little bit more mature than, I would say, the fashion space. That's what I know best, I guess, right now. Like, um, I'm not sure what you feel about graphic design, photography, etc. I would say that in general, there's not a ton of critical thought and analysis around work.
0: I mean, not to say people
1: don't have op-eds and whatnot, but I think what's really interesting and captivating is that since we've moved away from this but recognize its value, maybe we just need to change with the times. I'm very careful not to say, hey, you know what? We need to return back to what worked. Mm. Because I think that that's also something that's very dangerous because if you're so driven by what worked in the past, it's not the underlying thought isn't valuable.
0: The thing is people are not taking a lot. I feel as though people like us who are advocates for this kind of critical review of different kinds of art forms haven't really devoted time to putting in the work of reviewing and publishing thought on different things. I was reading a article written by Koi Vin, who is quite a well-known designer about how there doesn't seem to be a publication online or print that's interested in serious analysis of design out there. There are lots of design websites, but a lot of them, which we also need this. We need websites that tell us what's happening. We need websites that give us the news, that talk about conferences, talk about new designers, talk about just what is out there, but things like the source seem to be missing. And I do take your point. How do we do that in a way that people will engage with now?
1: And maybe it's a medium thing. And what I mean by that is the magazine, longer form content might not necessarily be the best way of approaching it. But my question is, can critical thought and analysis exist as 140 characters? Because that's the thing that I think is kind of a bit of an issue is that if we are no longer... Utilizing the underlying channels and distribution formats. If you think, if you're not putting it where people are, then you're for sure not going to win.
0: My question to you is what do you think of as a review?
1: I think a review is something that looks into the underlying work and then starts to kind of analyze it and break down. It could be a bunch of things, it could be the process in which it was made, the reason why it exists. Does it deserve to exist? Why someone's doing something? So wh- one thing that I wrote in my notes was that a lot of what we do now in media is about what. What is this? what What is happening? And, and we never really bring into account the why. And I think that we've devolved into a time and place where curation seems to be our way of suggesting, I guess, analysis and thought. And what I mean by that is you're curating a body of work and that is sort of a critical thought and analysis piece. It's like the body of work and what you choose to allow into it.
0: I agree that essentially what a review is, is about looking deeply at a thing, whether that's a movie or album or website or book and investigating why does this exist and what are the components of it and what is the intention. But... I feel like I was better able to write that kind of material when I was younger. And I think now what blocks me is this feeling of needing exclusive access or of being first to something.
1: Can you give me an example of that?
0: When I was in university, I wrote quite a long review of Kanye West's discography up to that point in time. Because back then I was a pretty big Kanye West fan. I mean, I'm still a fan of his older work. And so I wrote really a in my memory, I liked what I wrote, this review of his various albums and compare them one to the other, but I would feel not able to write that now. And maybe it's because I perceive of the media landscape as being interested in what is new, what is not been heard before. What is something that other people haven't gotten yet?
1: I generally subscribe to that too. But in my experience, just because you've seen it doesn't mean that everyone else has seen it versus the past when maybe that was a little bit more applicable. Because I do see that, like, you know, a good example of that was probably all the Serena Williams stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I felt as though I had all these sites, like, let's say 10 sites that all had their take on this situation, all had things that were quite similar. Right, but then I don't think everyone out there that's outside of media is checking ten sites that would factor into a point of view on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's hard to remind yourself of that, though. And it's it does take as a writer, as a publication, you have to have some sense of ego, in the sense that you think every piece of writing we create is something that is worth existing.
1: What is the solution to this? Like it is not right for me to come and, and, and kind of call this out without having a set of solutions. And it's really thinking about what are the tools available to us and bringing people back into the discussion. If Instagram stories is the most engaging way, like how do you utilize tools within that space? And it might not be the same making this up. Oh, 1200 word, even 1200 is not necessarily long, but let's say 1200 words to critique a show, piece of work, whatever. And maybe it's really something that you can start the dialogue through via Instagram. And I know I shit on like social media being something that prevents us from really providing deeper narrative and context because it's everything so ephemeral. But if you don't start somehow, because I think that the whole thing behind critical thought and analysis is something that is overlooked by a lot of people. Like, This is an aside and actually, you know, Sharice and I are part of this WhatsApp group and today's discussion really talked a lot about critique.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that same thing.
1: It's funny how this is all kind of interwoven, but in terms of critique, people feel as though 10 years ago when they started their careers as photographers, there was a lot more critique. Mm -hmm. And now if you are to suggest something, you're like, you're being a hater. Yeah. You're not being supportive.
0: I think another solution that we should talk about in, in being responsible and talking about this is us choosing to make those critiques and making ourselves vulnerable to people suggesting, "Oh, you're not being supportive." And not that not that either of us would ever be openly on social media, just like shitting on someone, but I trust that what we do is with this intention of reintroducing critical thinking into the discourse, because I think another aspect of the review is there has to be an there has to be a chance for the review to be negative. Or as in the review has to be fair. It's not really a review if you only ever say good things.
1: That vulnerability thing. This is a side, I'll cut this out. But that vulnerability thing, like I, there's a video of me working out, right? Yeah. And I never would have posted that. And I'm like, oh, like, how do I put this up and have people like critique me? And I ended up having a bunch of people like send me messages. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's vulnerability. And like, that's something that. I think is really important to know that you're open for business. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Should we move on?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So... My subject is this online museum project based in Germany called Conserve the Sound. And it is this website that catalogs vanishing and endangered sounds. Examples are a dial telephone, a Walkman, an analog typewriter, payphone, a modem, a cell phone keypad, coffee grinders. There's all kinds of different things. They're not necessarily just cutting-edge technology of a point in history, but just all of these different kinds of devices and items that can make sounds. Oh, one of them I saw is a milk can. Like, it's just, it's not even technology, really. It's just a standard milk can.
1: What's a milk can?
0: Like a can that used to hold milk.
1: Like a jug,
0: like a steel, yeah, vessel for milk. And so each one of these items, there's some really good photos of the objects, and then they're paired with about... 30 to 45 second snippets of sounds. And there's no dialogue in the sound snippet. It's meant to be sounds of that item. Just to say a little bit more about the project, it was started by this group. I'm going to say this wrong. Chandrkskin? Someone German, correct? Oh, that no, sounds we, have to Korean. Call, we have to call Andy again. Ask him how to pronounce C-H-U-N-D-E-R-K-S-E-N.
1: Uh, do I want to do no,
0: that? No, no, no. I don't. Anyway... It's a German agency called Chundersen, pronounced terribly. And they, as far as I can tell, this is like a side project. It is funded by a group in Germany, which I'm pretty sure is film and media, but it wasn't German. So that's my guess. Oh, and I don't know if you know this, but there's also videos on the website. Yeah, so there's a bunch of videos on the website. They're all quite short maybe three to five minutes. And it's interviews with different sorts of people, just like professors, students, journalists. And the question is all the same. So I thought this was a great question to ask you as well. The question is, is there a sound that brings back memories of your childhood?
1: I think the Tetris theme music.
0: What does that sound like?
1: I have to play it for you, but like, it's very vivid. It's like, it's road You're not gonna
0: try to sing it the way you tried to sing the slam?
1: Do, 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 do. It's wrong, but it's something like that. (laughs) Do, 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 do I can hear it, but I can't... In the last it.
0: episode, Eugene tried to sing the Space Jam song. And then...
1: I hummed it. We
0: all thought it was meant to be the Making It Up <laughs> episode song that starts at the beginning. Y'all
1: yeah. ready for this? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, anyways.
0: so Tetris, anything else?
1: I, the one I immediately clicked into was the VCR. Mm. Yeah,
0: mm. for sure. Tetris, that's good. For me, when I was a kid- Or the
1: we, kettle, the kettle too.
0: Oh, like an actual stove kettle?
1: Yeah, and the, the steam coming out.
0: Oh, that is interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: In a totally not bougie way, we used to have a secondhand baby grand pota- potato. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> In a totally not bougie way. When I was a kid, we used to have a secondhand baby grand piano. Yes. In our home that I would mess around. I didn't know how to play, but I would mess around on it. And my dad and my sister knew how to play. So there's that. And then maybe also my childhood home had carpet. And now in Hong Kong, you know, a lot of places don't have that kind of carpet. You know, that the deep house sort of carpet. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like carpet really makes sounds, but I do kind of think of that and how things fall on carpet differently from hardwood floors.
1: Yeah. And also run, running your feet against it. Mm.
0: And maybe bike sounds.
1: Oh, stairs for me too, because all the stairs that you you go up and down in Hong Kong, they're either escalators
0: mm. or there's cement. Yeah. And
1: you have wooden stairs.
0: That's so true.
1: But anyways, my question to you is, what is the value in even recording these Oh, sounds? yeah.
0: Actually, I had a whole bunch of things oh, as well. more. I had okay. other things about like conserve the sound, but I just thought the question of is there a sound that brings back memories of your childhood is so good that I just want to ask other people it as well. No, it was interesting to think about what else is lost along with the sounds. I think it is interesting to be browsing the site and hearing the sounds of things that maybe you haven't interacted with or you interacted with a long time ago. But I think it also reminds me of when you don't have a typewriter, it's not just that you lose that sound, you've lost something too about that device mm-hmm. that was inherent to that device. I was reading online about um, someone who gave their child a cassette player, a cassette tape player, and how interesting it was to listen to a cassette all the way through, which is something we don't really do. Because you
1: can't just pick the next track.
0: hmm yeah.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: That's what I was thinking about is not just the sound that you are losing associated with those items, but ways of living.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought of that.
0: I'm not trying to glamorize typewriters and cassette players and say, let's all go full hipster and go back to these items. But I do think about maybe there are ways we interacted with those items that we could preserve in new technology. I haven't really thought through what that looks like.
1: It's not skeuomorphism so much as applying the thought process or, and the limitations. Because arguably, technology has removed limitations, like limitless amounts of storage, for example.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because imagine what it's like when you have a much limited amount of resources and you need to be much more curation heavy. If you only have limited space on an LP or like a vinyl or a cassette. And how that influences your process?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of these items are about single usage or slowing down usage.
1: Like, I'm curious if if that title of the best album ever is something that's going to look different in the modern era, mm-hmm. because a best album arguably is front to back, like yeah. all bangers. Yeah. But now it's like it's if you want to add like another three tracks or you have some sort of pressure to put those three tracks on.
0: I've talked about this with Stanley before, about how albums were stories from start to finish and very intentional in their order. But now in this era when most artists will release the first two or three singles beforehand, Mm -hmm. you lose the story because it's like about those one or two singles and then everything else is sort of addendum instead of falling into a narrative that has a sequence. Mm -hmm. And I was actually, the interesting thing that I suddenly thought of in relation to conserve the sound is what you lose when you lose some tactility of things. And it's because yesterday I was talking with someone about money, about cash, and how with, and this is not a new idea, but it's still fascinating to me, how digital wallets cannot replicate what you learn by handling cash. I also don't have a solution. Yeah, I don't know, do you I don't know if you agree. But... No.
1: Well, like, I started writing with pencils again, right? That's kind of some hipster-ass shit. But, like, I enjoy it because it's the act of writing stuff down just incurs something that I don't know that registers a little bit more profoundly. Yeah. It's like knowing that if I apply certain amounts of pressure, like, the the outcome is different. Like, you can't really apply more pressure on a pen to the same extent as what you get with a pencil.
0: Yeah, and I I think in a way, we don't know as much about physics. Not not to say that I'm some physics professional, but that's what you mean. It's that you learn something about pressure and you know motor control by using pencils yeah. and writing utilities. And it's because uh, this also is in relation to this item on conserve the sound, that's those old school scales. And you have to actually use weights to, to balance out yeah. the other item. Am I describing this correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And that teaches you something about the weight of things. Yeah. And I already feel like I have no concept of the weight of items. Yeah.
1: It's interesting because with a pen, it doesn't really change its form, right? From start to finish, like the reservoir, you might see it dip down. But with a pencil, it's getting shorter and shorter as you sharpen it it smells it's like i don't know all this weird stuff
0: but it's true it is that's what i mean about like physics and physicality when you deal with cash you have the actual you have a very real sensation of i'm using the cash but when it's a digital wallet you don't you have to think so much more about even, it
1: even even the math component <laughs> like i had to count money last night at a group dinner i'm like oh like you actually have to count this
0: it's so interesting and i think about how I can't imagine how a child deals with the concepts of all of those things that we've talked about, money and limits and weight and pressure, because they don't have to yeah, if they don't want to.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is that ultimately, as we become more of a digital economy, currencies also change too, right? Like, generally speaking, like in the past, you would interact with only a handful of numbers, whether it's speed... It's money in your wallet. It's weight, etc. Now, if you think about it, there's so many more things thrown at you that are digital that are a little bit hard to comprehend. I think it becomes a little bit more challenging to like assess numbers. Yeah. Like, like, what does it mean when I have ten thousand experience points on FIFA, or I have internet that's one gigabit? Yeah. Or I have internet that's one gigabyte or whatever.
0: Yeah. I don't so, even know if that's the right measure, actually. There's right? so much more that I'm thinking about now that you're reminding me, such as speed. When children grow up and it's all autonomous cars, you don't really think, you don't know how 50 MPH feels because you didn't have to drive. And then also for stoves, if you grow up with electric stoves, you don't have this concept of the flame is bigger and therefore hotter. I know like logically
1: you
0: you can understand that, but you don't have that lived experience. So I wonder about, this is the big question. This is a hard question is how, Do we preserve kinds of living that we still find value in, even as technology races ahead? I feel there's going
1: to be a pushback because everything you've mentioned to me makes a lot of sense. But maybe I'm just romantic to it because I grew up with it. Maybe the next generation will never, ever really care about it or they're just going to always miss out.
0: I guess the pushback to what I'm saying is, well, why do I need to know that when the flame is larger, that means it's hotter? What purpose does that serve? And I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. No, I think people should go check out the site. If nothing else, it's really fun.
1: Let's play a few of our favorite sounds.
0: That's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com.
1: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend.
0: If you are interested in getting in touch with us, you can DM us at Macon on Instagram or email either of us at Eugene at Makin.com or Sharice at Macon.com. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice.
1: And this is Making It Up, number
0: 61. Done. Bam.